Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. Hello, it's Adam Hall here with my co-host Walt Serrato. And tonight we are excited to be joined by Nick Sales, head men's basketball coach at Rose Holman Institute of Technology and former associate men's basketball coach at Marietta College. Coach Sales, thank you for coming on tonight and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's crazy talking to you without a bunch of balls bouncing around and coaches yelling and screaming and me trying to make sure things are running smoothly. But but thanks so much for having me. Hey, we appreciate having you on. And like you said, Coach Sales, it, it's been it's been a minute since the last time we spoke down at Marietta at, at team camp. And um, at that point, you were the associate men's basketball coach at Marietta. Uh, and, and a lot's changed for you since then. And take a few minutes and get us up to speed on where you're at now and, and what led you there. It was a crazy, crazy offseason. Obviously, at Marietta, we were coming off a wonderful year. And obviously, it was a lot of celebrating going on in the spring. And then for me, it was a bunch of opportunities. Um, last year, um, it was so many Division three head coaching jobs. And I had a couple Division one opportunities as possible, too. And when Rose came open, uh, I was very excited about the opportunity. I played at Defiance, which was in the same league. And when I was able to get the process of it checked all my boxes. Um, it was crazy because in June is when I had my my Zoom interview for it. And we were in the middle of camp. I had to run home for lunch, then come back. And that went really well. Then I was able to get it on campus and it checked all the boxes. And to get me away from Marietta, you had to check all, all the boxes. I was so fortunate to be at a really good spot where the community support was awesome. I had a wonderful head coach. I got better every day. We never got complacent. And, and Rose is a little bit further away. Obviously, my girlfriend, she had to check off on some things with her being from Akron. Now I'm a little bit further away and being far from my family. You know, as as I've gotten older and started to do these things, and now it's not just about me, right? It's the one thing we talk about as coaches. It's like as you as a team, it's not just about you. You got to have a have a great team to be a great team. And it's like that for, for coaches too. It's like, it's not just about you as you get older. And so it checked a lot of boxes and, and I'm super happy to be here. So coach, talk to us about some of the challenges you faced early on and, and the lessons you learned in your first year uh, at the helmet, Rose Holman. Well, so so first off, I got here August 1st, right? So as a college coach, especially at the Division three level, a lot of the recruiting is happening right now, like in, in April and May. So all summer long, I was still recruiting for Marietta. So as soon as I got here, it was just obviously figuring out everybody on campus from professors to the admissions to making sure getting in contact with my guys and then really talking to a lot of the head coaches here, like giving me all the information that I feel like I need to know as, as I get started with those things. But even if things that you you still don't learn throughout those first couple weeks but then I had to figure out my assistant position situation which was crazy in itself and then just figuring out how to get a hold of recruits and the good thing was I had at least three weeks to figure some things out in terms of before students came back to campus but 
you know, learning just the types of kids that you need to have to be able to even get into Rose home and figuring out a place to live. I'm very fortunate to know the baseball coach here. He was with me. We actually lived together at Marietta and he's the head baseball coach here. So I was able to stay with him for a couple of days, finding a place to live um, and just figuring out the rules and regulations and, and making sure that the people that I knew um, in certain areas on campus that were important to me, getting to know them and, and figuring out how they could help me. And, so, Coach, let's go back in time a little bit to your days at Barberton High School. You know, even though that program's fallen some hard times as of late, still a rich tradition, one mm-hmm. of the most, one of the winningest basketball programs in the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. So, while you're there, you had the opportunity to play for Ken Rector, a name that's very familiar to many in Northeast Ohio. Talk to us about what it meant to be a part of Barberton's basketball team and what you learned from Coach Rector that you've carried on with you now in your your coaching career. Mm -hmm. It meant a lot. So my freshman year, I actually started off at Hoban. Then my mom eventually ended up moving to to Barberton. Um, In my freshman year, you know, obviously it's a whirlwind when you move anytime. But as a a sophomore in high school, man, just I went from being a really good football player at Hoban to, you know, I ended up growing five or six inches over the summer. And I actually played JV basketball as a sophomore. And it was, I got so much better going against those varsity guys with the tradition that they had and the community support. But I knew as I got older, like basketball became more and more important. And I knew that coach director and the coaching staff there, they were invested in me. I mean, there was times where I needed picked up to go to practice um, because my mom was working and coach actually came and got me and, and I was watching my little brother. He, he, My brother was in the, I remember getting, I still get made fun of to this day for coach director bringing me and my brother to practice. My brother running around in the stands and I'm, you know, practicing and trying to uh, make sure the guys weren't laughing at him too much or he was being quiet, but just the support that he instilled in me and the discipline. I mean, he, he sort of ran that thing like a college program, just in being prepared, the scouting reports and just every game being so important. Um, and that's when I sort of realized it wasn't just about me, right? Like we talked about earlier, like just being part of a really good team, giving yourself up for the team and just executing sets offensively and defensively and being a good student, like in the, in the community, like everybody knows Barbara and basketball they know the players when you go around that town so just being a really good person all the time and making sure your academics are are where they need to be and you know it was nice for all the summer trips the team camps you do in june getting closer with the teams and and closer with the coaches but like just from the conditioning that you had at the beginning of the year, it was top notch. And then just the execution of of sets. And we ran a lot of sets and just having really good teammates, right? Like everywhere I've been and all the teams I've been on, the teammates, like, and I, and I think that's why I'm a head coach and, and coaching in general is because I've always liked people around me being successful um, and, and being there, seeing so much success, it was, it made it easy. So playing with really good players and being an unselfish type player, it, it made it so fun. And I realized how important it was because we won a lot. And my senior year, I was actually the only senior on the team. And we we accomplished some things that people didn't think we would accomplish. But Coach Rector, actually, he talked me and convinced me into playing college basketball. So I got a lot to thank him for. Um, and while I was in college, him and his parents actually came down to a game. But, you know, I, and throughout my processes, I, he's been a guy that I've called and asked for advice at while I was at Marietta, whenever we go play Mount Union, he would be at the game, which was awesome. Um, and obviously, I give him a hard time because we sort of finished strong while I was there, going up against those guys at Mary while I was at Marietta. But he is a is a big part of of who I am today as as a person, as a player I, that I was, and as a coach. 
um, the whole staff, Coach Rector, um, Coach Cardinal, Coach Walker. Um, it was it was it was, a, it was a phenomenal experience. Obviously, it came with some trying times, right? I had to grow and develop and all those things, and it wasn't always easy. But I got through those times because because they supported me and I had really good teammates. So, Coach, after graduating from high school, you you talked about already, but you decided to continue your basketball career at Defiance College, and and as a senior. You were named the Heartland Collegiate Athletic Conference Player of the Year, Tournament MVP, and you were an honorable mention NCAA Division III All-American selection. So looking back on it now, how valuable was that experience as a collegiate athlete, and how has it made you a better coach? It was awesome. You know, I, I had some D2 things. Um, I visited Mount Union, but it was a little bit closer, too close to home. But Defiance was three and a half hours away. Coach Miller, who was the coach there at the time, um, did a really good job of recruiting me. They weren't very good before my class got there, but I ended up coming in with a really good class, uh, with like 17 or 18 guys. And time management was huge, right? And in my meeting, I remember going up there when I was getting recruited. The meeting said, Nick, if you rebound how you've rebounded in high school, you'll play. So I knew if I went in there and played as hard as I could and, and rebounded um, that I would play because my skill set as a freshman wasn't nearly as good as what it was as a senior, obviously. Right. But I knew if I rebounded, that was the role for me. And so, you know, being an all conference player as a freshman, a lot of that was just because I got a lot of offense rebounds and crashed the glass and just played hard. But I wouldn't have been able to do that as a freshman if I hadn't gone through all the preparation and things at Barbara in high school. I mean, just the way we operated prepared me for the conditionings that we had, the lifting session, knowing the scouting report and following the scouting report and understanding how important that stuff was. But obviously, man, just going to college and you realize, hey, you're not in class from from nine to three anymore. Like you got, got a class and you have a break and then you got class, but then you got study tables. Managing that time was huge. And so, but also just the people that I met there. Um, and, and one thing that I love about college is obviously you had guy, you had me from the Akron area, you had guys from smaller towns around Defiance with a Liberty Center and, and Holgate, like places I would have never known had I not been to a place like that. And, you know, over Thanksgiving break, I wasn't able to go home. So just those families that I was able to meet and take me in because they knew I didn't want to go home. The relationships that I built were amazing. Again, the, the great teammates, the success that we had, it was it was just overall amazing. We got to go, you know, obviously when you take that trip to Florida, that was, those are always nice and things you remember. But I just know that after my freshman year, one of the things that I always learned and I try to tell people, even my guys now, part of me being a coach is after my freshman year, because I played as a freshman, I got very complacent. I went home over the summer and I didn't do anything. I knew I would play as a sophomore. And so I didn't do much. I had a job, wake up, go to work, come back home and probably go to sleep because I was exhausted because I had to work to pay for college. But after that, after my sophomore year, I didn't have the year we had and we had a really good team. We brought a lot of guys back, but I felt like I let the team down because I didn't put the work in over the summer. So my junior and senior year, I made sure that I kept getting better all year round. Didn't work when I got home over those that sophomore more summer and junior summer. Um, and I just became a lot better um, skill wise and, and in every way. Like I matured, really got close with my teammates. You know, it just it taught me so much. It taught me so much. And I wouldn't be where I am um, if I hadn't had two really good college head coaches. Um, one is at Hanover now. One is the head coach at Wabash. And they're, they're doing really well at both of those places. I gra end up graduating with only six guys. And it's crazy. Four out of the six I graduated with are head coaches. Uh, one is the head coach at Toledo Central Catholic. He was the starting point guard from Toledo St. John's. One is the head coach at Manchester College, who's 
in my league who I play played three times this year. And then the other is the high school coach at Fremont High School. So we all had basketball minds. It was really, really important to us. Um, and when you surround yourself with that, I mean, you constantly learning and you constantly talking about it. It's what you're thinking about all day long. And so for me, after I graduated, like I just couldn't imagine not being competitive and then just not being able to be a part of other people succeed as well as myself. So, Coach, I want to pivot here for a second based on something you said. I, I recently um, have started working out with a former player who attends a Division three school here in Ohio. Uh, and I don't think people understand, you know, there are rules, there are regulations that you have to follow, and they're a little mm -hmm. bit different at every level. And so as you go into your D2, your D3 levels, you don't get that time in the summer with your players. You're basically sending them home, and you get them when they come back, and Talk to us about, you know, what are some of the things that, that you did uh, or, or gave to players or talked to them about as they headed into that time away from you guys? Because I think in order, like you said, to become better and to grow as a collegiate player, it takes a lot of discipline in the offseason, mm -hmm. in the summer when you're home and you don't have a coach riding you and, and essentially kind of watching your every move, planning your daily schedule. So what are some things that maybe you did at Rose Holman or even Marietta with the players? I mean, I think after your freshman year, you sort of, you learn a lot. Like it's a big learning experience. And so obviously offensively and defensively, if you've gone through the year and you know the expectations, offensively, you know where you're going to get your shots from, right? You know all the individual workouts you've done throughout the year. You know the team stuff that you guys are doing. Defensively, you know how you're going to play. So you have to have a plan of where you're getting your shots from all summer long and you should be doing, right? You have to know the weightlifting plan you had um, while being there. And then figuring those things out and keep doing them when you get home. Right. And that's why it's important to have good teammates to hold each other accountable while you're doing that. And so a, a lot of that just comes from reinforcing and repetition. Like, you know, I was just talking to my guys the other day, like when, you know, those NBA guys get to the gym, like they don't start off just jacking up shots. You see them doing the, the stretching. You see them doing the, the little bit of weightlifting, lightweight type stuff. You see them doing the ball handling. Then you see them taking, you know, shorter shots. Then they sort of start expanding out to the three point line. But you have to plan, right? You can't wake up the day of and just get to the weight room and think, OK, what am I going to do today? You got to know what you going to be going what you're going to be doing before you get there right i think that's the biggest thing is planning um and then you got to follow through with the plan right like just like people talk about everybody has potential but like potential is just what you could be <laughs> like to reach it you got to do the work and so I, I think a lot of it is just making sure you stay in discipline and, and really having a plan and then following through with that plan so coach after your playing days in college you eventually land an assistant spot at all beyond college and then you have a three-year run there, mix in defiance as well. You had the opportunity to join Coach Vanderwall's staff at Marietta, where you served as an assistant coach and the associate head coach for nine years total. Take us through that process and why Marietta College is a right move for Nick Sales at that point in your early coaching career. Yeah, so so it was it was crazy. So after college, I honestly didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like my best friend, who's the head coach at Manchester, ended up getting a GA job. Um, staying at Defiance. And, you know, over the summer, I had did an internship for the Akron Arrows thinking, OK, maybe minor league baseball. And, and so he kept telling me how much fun he was having, um, loved being around it. And luckily, Coach May over at Albion had a it was a part time assistant pay making eight thousand dollars my first job. Um, but it was full time work. Um, and so I did it and I had a phenomenal experience. But over the summers, even while I was there at Albion and then throughout my GA at uh, Defiance, I would go work camps over the summer, just trying to network and meet as many people as I could. 
Um, and so I was fortunate enough to go work Marietta's camp every summer. And they, you know, in I think 2000, my senior, the year after I graduated, they became really good. Coach Vander was, I think, fourth season. And so I would go work camp down there and I really enjoyed the facilities. It was only two hours from home. I always enjoyed, you know, just how he held himself, how he held his staff and how they how their players. I mean, it was really important. And so this last time I went and worked at camp, the second time after my GA, their head or their assistant coach at the time, I would see him recruiting all the time in Northwest Ohio while I was at Defiance. And, you know, we I had a really good relationship with him, still do. And he told me, listen, Nick, you need to come work this second camp because I wasn't about to do it. And he said, uh, you know, I'm about to get a head job. And so I said, OK. So I went down there and did it. And when I was walking out, Coach Vanderwall said, OK, are you interested in being my assistant coach? And, you know, we had a couple guys that he was looking at. And I, I interviewed and I was very fortunate. Coach, I think Coach Brum helped me out in terms of being a really good reference for me. But I just knew that he wanted to win at a high level. I liked his energy. I loved the community support they had. I really thought that the guys they had coming back, we had a chance to be really good. And I knew that athletics were important there. It's a lot of division threes where, I mean, it's a lot of colleges in general. Athletics aren't that important. Um, and I knew athletics was very important there. I knew that he would help groom me to be a really good head coach. I mean, obviously the assistant he had groomed got a head coaching job. I mean, his first assistant got a head coaching job. So that was very attractive to me. And I knew that at that time, that's what I really wanted to do, or I thought about the division one assistant level, but I just knew basketball was important. I knew he held people to a really high standard, um, the community support, the types of players I have a chance to coach. So coach, we always talk about roles as it relates to players in a program, but coaches have roles and responsibilities as well within a program. Talk to us about some of those roles and responsibilities that you had at Marietta, and then speak to us a little bit about the importance of delegating as a leader now that you're running your own program and trusting the people you have put in place to get the job done. Um, well, well first off, I was, I was very fortunate at Marietta to not just be the only assistant. We were all we were always lucky that Coach Vanderwall had two assistants. Um, and when I first came in, Coach Kenny, he was awesome. He was there with me, I believe, for two years. And then I had Coach Draper, who was also there, and Coach McCain right before I left. But all of those guys made my job a lot easier. You know, I was I was the the top assistant, as you would say, but we never treated it like that. You know, if they needed help with the smallest of duties, I was there to help them. If I needed help, I made sure I relied on them too. But I, I also think this is what makes the Division Three level special is because as an assistant, you have so many roles, right? Whereas, you know, at the Division One level, you have a lot of guys, you got a dobo, you got a video coordinator. Well, at Division Three, that assistant, you have to do all um, in terms of the scouting reports, in terms of being uh, going to study tables, right? The individual meetings, the individual workouts, doing um, game management for soccer. I had to teach a tennis class. And obviously I'm driving, recruiting to Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus on Tuesday, Fridays after practice and then Saturdays after games. You know, when you do those out of town trips as assistant, you got to do a lot of that, those plannings. And then it, it's just being at, you know, some of the strength and conditioning stuff. Like it, it's so many things that you have to do. Being the head coach of JV, right? So, you know, you play that game on Saturday as the assistant issue your scouting report. Well, Sunday, you got to be the head coach of the JV team. And then obviously just so many other duties assigned. Our baseball team was really good. So we had to work the the, uh, the baseball games in the spring, right? It, it's, it's nonstop. So you really have to love it at this level. But, you know, we sort of delegated those responsibilities based off of what Vanderwall thought each assistant was really good at. 
Right. And I think we didn't limit it to what exactly what he told us because we wanted to get better at everything. And I think that's what makes makes me a really good head coach or ever had a really good head coach in my first year, because the way we operated at Marietta is is unlike any other. Like, I think like people always think, well, just because you guys had won it one year like that, it just happens. Well, no, we, we outworked people, you know, like just. Being in a car on a Tuesday night, our location wasn't the best, right? Where you got, you know, you got Mountain Union, you got John Kerr and Baldwin Wallace all in, in Northeast Ohio. Then you got Capital and Otterbine in, in, in Columbus. Well, I mean, we were driving to Cincinnati, Columbus, and Dayton, like, a lot. So I'm getting home at 2 o'clock in the morning, didn't have to wake up and, you know, maybe have academic meetings with guys and then watch film and do the scouting reports. So, like, the way we operated there definitely has helped prepare me to be a head coach. Um, you know, I'm in here probably every day, 7, 7.30, and leaving. You know, here we have to practice from 5 to 7 or 7 to 9 because of the academic standards here. So I'm used to being up, you know, from 7 to probably two o'clock in the morning because of the recruiting part. But like, so here being seven to nine is, is sort of easy for me, but just how many duties and the standard that I was held to there has made this job such an easy transition, you know, where I would go to coach Vanderwall and, and give him input about what to say. Then he made the final call. Now it's just sort of me making the final call and just being able to live with those results. But, you know, I've been through so many experiences over the years I have coaching and I, I've sort of seen it all. You know, obviously it could be something new happening and you never know when you're really ready to be a head coach, but you got to learn from your own experiences too. But I, I think for me, it's, I'm always trying to get better. I don't think I know everything. And I think that's what makes me special too, is I, I'm okay with admitting my mistakes. I'm okay with knowing that I need to get better in every aspect. So yeah, Marietta definitely prepared me for this. The, the great assistant coaches alongside me, I've learned so much from. Obviously, Vanderwall, I've learned so much from. Coach May, who I worked for, Coach Brum and Coach Miller, all have just had so much input. And they've all been just a call away whenever I've needed something or needed input on, on anything. Yeah. So coach, let's just recap a little bit what you guys were able to accomplish in your nine years at Marietta. So you have seven OAC regular season championships, mm -hmm. three tournament championships, mm -hmm. you had a sweet 16 appearance, two elite eight appearances. Mm -hmm. And in 2022, Pioneers made it to Fort Wayne for the division three uh, final four. Mm -hmm. You kind of touched on it a little bit with that last answer, but just take us behind the curtain a little bit more. I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be about just embracing that grind. You guys just made winning look easy. How were you guys able to not just do it once or twice, but sustain that elite level of play and continued success? I mean, you can't do it without the players, right? Like, I think we just had phenomenal young men and phenomenal parents. I, I mean, they, they let us coach where – you know, sometimes some some parents, they feel like they got to have some put in and obviously the conversations they can have. But like we had really good leaders all the time in our relationships, like our guys, they let us coach them hard um, because they wanted to win at a high level. And I think what helped us is just every the next class wanted more. They wanted to do better than the la last class and the class that graduated wanted them to do more. And the community support there was just amazing. It was a place that if you wanted to come play in a big time environment, you was getting that every night at Marietta. And, and for the most part, whenever we would go on the road, you can look back at, at the schedule and see how many people were there. But we were the big show whenever we went on the road because everybody wanted to knock us down. So every night was a big game. In there, it's just like when you lose a game, those two days, you play Wednesday, Saturdays, those two days are the longest days of your life. Like you cannot wait to get back on that court and redeem yourself. 
we just had really good players. And I thought we just did a great job of whenever there was a problem, nipping it in the butt right away, staying hungry on the recruiting trail going after guys who we probably shouldn't have got. But also there was guys that, you know, we thought would just be okay that turned into big time players because they bought into what we what we said that they should do, right? They went home over the summer and they got bigger and stronger and they got better and they surpassed some, some other people. But just, it was, we were super lucky that our, our practices were more competitive than our games. I mean, one through, the good thing about there is one through 22 could have all played somewhere, but we made sure that everybody felt important and, and everybody realized that they had to bring it, bring it to the table every single day. Like you couldn't take days off if you wanted to win at a high level, um, especially because we know everybody had Marietta circled on their schedule. We knew we was going to get everybody's best shot. You could watch, you know, Wilmington versus Mount Union. And, you know, neither one of those teams, even though that they were, they're both really good teams, they was going to bring it even harder when they played Marietta because of the atmosphere. Um, and because obviously we we had been the champs for, for so long. So just the type of focus that you have to have there, too. I mean, we always did a great job of holding each other to a high standard as coaches, too. And I think us as coaches, like our guys seen us working out all the time. So it was like, OK, now we really ain't, don't have any excuse not to be getting bigger and stronger. If coaches can get in there. But just our, our relationship we had with our guys, too. Like our guys know we run through a brick wall for them. Um, and so they were willing to do that, do that for us. And, and just the trust and the faith that you got in that program. And it's just it's a special place, man. It's a special place. I was actually thinking about going back there for the baseball regionals uh, they got coming up. But obviously, I got to make sure we ready for Ireland. But it's I mean, it was tough leaving. It was really tough leaving. And, and you know, when you, the hard part, too, is like when you're in those moments and you compete for the championships, it's really hard to enjoy a win because right after the game, you're getting ready for the next one. Like everybody's been asking me, like, how was that final four run? Well, it was nerve wracking for the most part because you got to figure out how to beat the next opponent the next night. And, and so it was it was a lot of stress, but like it's important. And, and because it was so important to us, it made it fun. Um, and we always got to enjoy it at the end of the year. And, and when you got a community, you know, again, it's not just about the guys. They know it was about the community, too. They didn't want to let the community down. They didn't want to let the guys that had graduated down. Uh, but it was just an awesome experience. And just playing in all those big-time games and coaching in all those big-time games. I mean, the relationships that I build are phenomenal. I'm actually going to a wedding in July for one of the guys that I, we, I coached for a little bit. So it's just it's, – it's a great place. So, Coach, one of the first parts of that last answer I found really interesting. One of the first things you said was we had parents – that let us coach their kids. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, for Adam and I, for a lot of our listeners, high school coaches, you know, that dynamic of working with parents, I think there's this, you know, perception that in high school, you know, parents are a little more hands-on, they're a little more in the picture, um, you know, a dynamic you have to deal with as a head coach at the high school level. But in college is maybe a misconception. I don't know, you, you can tell us, hey, we'll drop you off, we'll see you in four years. Talk to us about that relationship with the parents and maybe some of those conversations you try to have off the bat. Obviously, I know part of the recruiting process, there's, mm -hmm. there's going to oh, yeah. be a rapport that's built. But once you're in season, how many parent communications are you having? How many meetings are you having? Anything like that? Barely none. You know, whether a guy is playing or not playing, you know, we after every game, I'm going up saying hi, right? Like, no matter if their son is playing. Because obviously, if I recruited them there, we – we recruited you there. We, we believe in you. And, and one of the biggest things we tell our guys, like you going from from boys basketball to men's basketball. So so this process is to help you become a man and get you ready for the real world. So once you get done with here, you go get that big boy job. Mom and dad can't call 
the boss and say, hey, why did you fire my son? Right. It's not like that. And that's how men's basketball should be treated. And sort of we sort of let that be known, you know, throughout the recruiting process. Like you got to trust us. Like we've obviously spent a lot of time seeing your son throughout the recruiting process. We know what he's capable of and we're going to be upfront and honest with him. So it's like you got to trust us. Right. And at times that's tough. It's really tough because, you know, there's some guys you recruit that you think that they can play right away for you, but then they just don't get it right away. They get distracted by whether it be, you know, the girls or, you know, off the court issues that you can possibly have. And so but I think just being brutally honest helps that. Right. Like if you and at Marietta, we did a great job of not promising anybody anything. You had to come in there. You had to work for everything you got. So I think parents understood that. Like if you went there, you knew you had to bust your tail to get to where you wanted to be. So being brutally honest throughout that process is huge. And, you know, actually fun. I heard a funny story is like uh, at a high school in Pittsburgh where the high school football coach said, hey, if any parents want to come and talk to me uh, about why their son should be playing, they making them go in front of the football of the team and tell them why they who who they kids should be playing over and why right and I, I actually like that and and honestly one of the reasons why I don't think it, it'll, I will have a tough time in high school is because of that very reason but you know you do have parents that that do try to get in the mix a little bit and you try to nip that butt right away right but you know I'm a big kill them with kindness type of guy like I think a lot of the a lot of student athletes know depending on where you at this this thing is really important to me right like and I tell my guys all the time, I think about you guys more than I do my own family. Like you think that I'm going to put you in a situation not to succeed and give you all the information that that you need. Right. So it's just building that trust and, and, and just being brutally honest with them throughout the process. Like I think when you beat around the bush or, you know, you start fibbing just to make sure they're happy that it kills the relationship. And then one lie turns into many lies. So, Coach. You're fresh off a Final Four appearance at Marietta, okay? You're starting to, to plan for next year. You're recruiting. I see you at Midwest Live. You're still working for Marietta. And then, boom, you take the Rose Holman job. And what mm-hmm. you said to us a little bit ago was is that job checked a lot of boxes. Mm-hmm. And you also said that there were opportunities that you had prior to this job. So I'm just curious, what were those boxes that were checked off for you? What made Rose Holman that job uh, for Nick Sales? And then once you took the job, kind of take us through those first 90 days on the job. What did you do to try and establish your program? Well, the good thing was when I first came on campus and interviewed, like I, I think I'm really good at reading people. And I wanted a job where I felt like I could be myself. That was the most important thing, where I could be goofy when I needed to be goofy. They was going to let me run my program the way I wanted to run my program. Location was huge. You know, I'm an hour from Indianapolis. I'm in a town of about 58 to 60,000 people, which is good. Um, I'm close to Chicago, close to St. Louis. So location was huge in in that sense. And then I'm at a place with great academics. Um, I mean, we are the number one undergraduate engineering school in the country. There's a lot of schools that coaches have to be used car salesmen on the academic side and in life after basketball. Here, I'm not that. And I tell guys that I'm recruiting all the time. If I can match up your basketball experience with what you get in here academically, then I'm providing the best experience you could ever have. I mean, I'm graduating five seniors this year. Two of them are going to be getting their master's. Um, and then the other three have jobs making a lot of money. <laughs> right. And then and then financially. Right. That was that was a big piece for me, too. They they they're, they're taking care, of, um, which was very, very important. Um, no secondary duties. Um, I, I can just focus on coaching. 
I mean, I mean, that's huge. Even at, at, at the division three level, I mean, again, you got to have your hands on a lot of things and I'm able to just really focus on, on coaching and my guys. And, and so those were the big keys that felt like that I, I could be successful here. On top of that, our, our facilities are phenomenal. And then the coaches here are, are really good. You know, our men's and women's soccer team made it to the NCAA tournament. Our football team lost in the conference championship, but he's a great dude and he's done a great job with the program. You know, obviously we, my, my first season, we ended up losing in the conference tournament championship too. Um, our cross country and track and field guys, they won the league. So I'm surrounded by winners that I'm learning from on, on a daily basis. I mean, our SID who has been here for 25 years, he's known as one of the best SIDs in the country at any level. Um, and, and he's made my job a lot easier. So I, I'm just surrounded by really good people too. Um, and, and they want they want us to win. Right. They, they really want us to win. They're they doing some things to to help me do that. And I just got to follow through with my part and, and, and working my butt off to put us in a situation to do that. So so the first 90 days, a lot of that was first getting a hold of all of our guys. OK, now, obviously, when you get the job in August, it's not like you can put together a quick summer workout plan for these guys to be doing. It's basically letting them know how I'm going to run the program, figuring out, you know, the, the first team meeting and then figuring out names that I need to be recruiting. I need to figure out, OK, first off, meeting with admissions. OK, what is the admissions requirement? So I had a 30 minute mission with the admissions meeting with them. Then obviously you have all your HR stuff you have to do, which takes about two to three days. Um, so knocking out the retirement stuff, uh, you know, knocking out, obviously, the dental, you know, the vision, all, all those types of things. So I had those meetings for a couple of days and then sitting down with a lot of our coaches, asking a bunch of questions in terms of the recruiting piece and, you know, meeting with our facilities people. How does game day management work? How does practice work? Figuring out my, my P card, my credit card. Right. And then we were only able to get one scrimmage this year. Um, normally you have two, but I was only able to, to get, had to get a scrimmage. Right. Fortunate enough for me, my game schedule was done, so I didn't have to schedule any games So, because that was done, even though 11 of our first 13 games was on the road. But it was at least all done. Um, so that part was taken care of meeting with the trainers to figure out who was going to be my trainer throughout meeting with our facilities. People, again, just making sure my practice set up that I have managers and it, it, it was a lot. Uh, making sure, you know, the buses, making sure getting to and from games, managing the budget, ordering gear, getting sizes. I mean, it was it was a lot. Figuring out an assistant coach. Was it going to be part time? Was it going to be full time? Um, and then figuring out when it was going to be posted and when I was able to hire those things, you know, had to do the campus tour. But the biggest thing for me was obviously developing a relationship with the guys and then getting a hold of recruits ASAP, who's, you know, fit the mold for a rails home and type basketball player. But it was it was crazy. It was nonstop. I was in the office from 6 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night, just getting ready for that first team meeting and all the information that our guys needed before they came back to school. And then going to a couple of recruiting events, you know, getting with the volleyball and women's basketball coach, figuring out when we were able to practice, um, having those type meetings. And then obviously going to all the, the fall sports type stuff was was big for me too. going to support men's and women's soccer, going to support the football team, going to support the volleyball team, just making my presence felt. Then you have that when the guys get back to campus is meeting an incoming freshman, letting them know who I am. Then having that first team meeting, laying down the law. And it, it was crazy. So my first team meeting I had, you know, I had 22 guys in there and then before you know it, I got four or five guys quitting. Um, and they, they all said, you know, that most of them would have quit no matter what. But, you know, I, I'm 
it's a new president around here and it's a different type of work that you got to put into it. You got to love it to play for me. I'm demanding and I'm asking a lot because I'm doing a lot. So, you know, every weekend it felt like I was getting a text, coach, can we meet? And I felt like the guy was going to quit. And, and so just dealing with that. But I knew I didn't want to risk one guy for the culture of my program. I, w- I was not going to do that. I wanted to love coming to practice. I wanted the guys to look forward to coming to practice. And we ended up, you know, finishing out the year with 16, but just figuring out who really wanted to be a part of the future of this program, you know, f- meeting with student affairs and figuring out, you know, what types of things did they do to support the games and getting people to the games. But it was a long 90 days meeting the important people in town. But, you know, it, it, was, it was very busy, but it was very productive. Um, I ended up getting 12 incoming guys coming in that I'm really excited about. Um, I feel like guys got a lot better. You know, they know now that they got to be in a lot better shape than what they what they did last year. But those first 90 days and they're important. Those were the things that a lot of that encompassed. Having your convictions and and sticking with them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and all that stuff. I mean, you've done a great job kind of painting the picture for us at the Division three level. All the things that go on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moving parts. (laughs) um, A lot of moving parts that I think sometimes outsiders can take for granted. Absolutely. So let's talk about your introductory press conference. Mm -hmm. You were quoted saying, and I want to make sure I read this correctly. I am truly looking forward to recruiting and developing high character young men that will excel in representing not only themselves, but Rose Holman on and off the court. So that being said, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit with that last, your last answer, but what does a Rose Holman basketball player look like in your program? And what sort of things have you done to develop the whole person, not just the basketball player? You know, and, and I sort of stole this from Coach Vanderwall. I know he going if he watches this, he gonna be like, ah, right, that's exactly what I would say. But but it's true, right? Like I I need really I need really good people, right? Like I, and, and that includes like cleaning up after yourself. Uh, one of the favorite guys before I left Marietta that we ended up recruiting, his name is Jaden Bradshaw. I went to a game one time and he was their best player, but like he was picking up all the warm up tops after the game. And making sure that they got back to the locker room. Like, I need to see that the community and the students, like, they look forward to rooting for you because they know you're a good dude. I just don't deal with bad body language. I don't deal with, you know, when when I'm watching the game, if, if the parents are yelling at the coach or yelling at the player or the player is blaming the coach all the time, like, I don't want to deal with that because it's going to carry over. So I don't want to see things like that. I want to see people that are saying hi to the, and thank you to the janitorial crew, saying thank you to the scorekeepers. Just just showing that they appreciate all the people that have helped mold them to be the player that they are. And obviously for me, I'm, I'm very lucky here at Rose Home. And like I, I sleep well on Friday and Saturday nights where a lot of places you got to really worry about getting a phone call at 2 or 3 a.m. Because guys are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So off the court, I don't want to have to worry about those types of things, which means you stand out of trouble. Right. I get you a college student and you feel like you growing up. Um, but I just don't want any off the court issues. I need you going to every single class, you know, and I'm not begging you to sit in the front of the class, but I need you going to every single class because just like the effort and energy I'm giving you basketball wise, those professors are giving you that same effort and energy in the classroom to help prepare you for your career choice. And so being a great person, that that just means a lot to me. And, and again, it makes my job easier. But obviously, if you're not getting into Rose Holman, if you're not a really good student, right? And, and one of the, I've read more transcripts this year than and I have my whole career coaching. And, and so the, the guys that I have to have, they have to have taken physics, calculus, or pre-calc, biology, chemistry, and they can't have anything below a B in those things. So I'm checking a lot of transcripts. And so a lot of guys are eliminated right off the bat. 
academically. The main majors here is engineering, different types, obviously, and then, you know, computer science. So like if you don't don't, don't have an interest in those things, then I'm sort of not I'm not recruiting you because we don't offer the major here that I feel like will be worth the degree. So those are the things that I'm really looking for and those types of things, non-basketball wise. But obviously as a player, you have to love it. Like I talked about, I mean, you got to look forward to coming into the gym. You got to look forward to going to the weight room. You got to be competitive, got to have really good ball skills, got to have really good leadership skills. Like I need guys that's going to communicate. One of my worries here when I took this job is the personalities of the, of the guys, guys here, honestly. It's like, you know, I walk around this campuses and a lot of people with headphones in, staring at the computers all day. Well, I need guys that's able to talk to people and communicate because you have to on the court if you want to be really good. But just having a love for the game, look forward to coming to practice, ultra competitive, being able to really shoot it, um, obviously being athletic. Um, I need my post guys to be able to finish over either shoulder, being able to rebound, but I also need unselfish guys. Like I need to recruit a bunch of guys that can go out and get you 25, but then also be okay. Uh, if you get doubled in the post to kick it out, being okay with a game of six to eight points, if it's the right play for the team. So so skill wise and, and personality wise, those are the main things that I'm looking for. But I'm not just recruiting a kid. I'm recruiting a family, too. Like I need again, I need parents that's going to believe in my philosophy. Let me coach their young men uh, and trust that I'm going to help them grow. And so, you know, throughout the process, right, obviously, you know, they come here. I have a lot of individual meetings with my guys like our, my guys know, obviously, throughout practice, they know that it's it's game time there. Like I'm coaching you. I'm getting after you, helping you become the, the best player that you can be. But when we not at practice, I want my guys coming in here to see me as much as they can and talking about life, talking about home life right talking about the dorms and how they're how they're going like talking about girlfriends if they gotta have those talking about you know their future just talking about anything but basketball to know that i care for them besides just winning the basketball game and i think guys appreciate that you know i go up to lunch in our cafeteria often and if this guy's in there i like to sit sit down at the cafeteria table and eat lunch with him right just to talk about their day and see how it's going and i think it it allows them to know like Coach has a personality besides getting after me on the court, too. And so those are the types of things that I'm doing to help build my guys besides basketball players. It's just constantly being there for them at any time of the day. Um, you know, I can recall one time we was going home for Christmas break after a game and one of my guys was driving home and he shot me a call and, and we talked because he was, and basically I didn't want him falling asleep driving home that late at night either. But he just knew he could do that. And, and I'm glad my guys are, are no in year one, shoot, not, not even a year, a couple months that they can do that. You know, I've cried with some of my guys in here this year because they had some things going on back home. But to know that they can lean on me for those types of things, that means I'm doing something right. Well, Coach, self-awareness uh, as a coach is key. And, you know, if you don't know who the hell you are and what you believe in and value, then I, I believe you're in trouble as a coach. Uh, w without self-awareness, you know, you really can't understand your strengths and your weaknesses. So having spent some time around you over the past four to five years and developing a relationship with you, you're an individual that knows exactly who you are. And with that being said, as it relates to coaching and dealing with today's athletes, what particular strengths do you possess that impact your program and the culture you are trying to build? And on the flip side of that, and this is the big one that I think coaches need to pay attention to and focus on what are those areas you're looking to grow in i think the thing that makes me who i am is again i like watching other people succeed so i'm trying to build as much confidence in guys as possible 
Um, you know, if you go and look at the stats from our guys from a year ago to this year, I mean, guys were so much better. And obviously it helped we play faster, different type of style than what the last coach had, but just building confidence. Um, and here, right, again, I'm, I'm the head coach. Like my job is to help them grow and win, and win games. But I know how stressed out they are. And we say up the hill, they are academically. So if they come to practice and you're just getting yelled at and screamed at with how stressed they are about their academic uh, day, then I know they're going to shut down, right? So, so for me, I got to figure out the guys that I can get on a lot harder than some other guys because I know if I get on those guys, they know, you know, that I'm not just talking to them. They may not even mess up, but I'm getting on them so the other guys can hear it and learn from it, right? But, but I think for me, it's just building a lot of confidence in the guys that I have and being there for them is what makes me who who I am as a coach. And, and for me, the things that I, I think that I have to grow with is probably a little bit of, of my own self-confidence, right? Like, I, And I think that's when you be, become a head coach, sometimes you doubt yourself in your decisions that you make, but just being more confident in, in the decisions that I make, right? Instead of second guessing some of the things that I think. But that'll come with experience. But I would say that that would probably be my biggest weakness is sometimes I'm just not as confident as as, as what I should be. You know, it's thing questions that I call Coach Vanderwall with at certain times, like, Nick, you know you're doing the right thing. You're doing it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I just I just needed to hear from you. Uh it just give me some clarification on that. But I think that would be the biggest thing for me. And I think that's what stops some people from applying for head coaching jobs or even when they getting them not taking them is their own self-confidence. Oh, Coach, that's very well said. And I think you might be onto something there. So let's talk about kind of that the fear-driven culture that was a big part of our game. I think probably for the three of us when we played in high school, mm -hmm. um, kind of becoming a thing of the past is kids now don't really reply and respond to that type of coaching mm -hmm. as much as they might have, you know, five, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Instead, it more so creating that culture of growth and eliminating that fear of failure seems to get the best results. Do you agree with that? And if so, how are you practicing that with your program? I totally agree with that. Like, I hate when I hear people say you got to coach everybody the same. That That's not true at all. And the good thing for me at the college level is I figure those types of things out as I'm going through the recruiting process. Like, And I ask that question, like, how do you handle adversity? How do you handle coaching? And they should ask me, what type of coach am I? Like, how do I coach the game? And you should watch a game of the coaches that, that the, the schools that are recruiting you, right? But I, I think for me, I'm just... I'm super honest about it. The guys on my team know the three things that if you do in practice, I'm going to go crazy. And I put that up front and they know that. So they know when they do it, coaches, coaches about to, he about to get after me. So you sort of set those non-negotiable rules that you have that the team knows, hey, I'm, we, we deserve it because we know this is super important. I think that helps a lot because they know it's not just on them, it's on everybody. And if it happens, we, we know the consequence of that. And I think for me, it's it's admitting my own mistakes, right? Like I think when you as, as a head coach admit that you mess up sometimes too, it allows the student athlete to realize, hey, he's not he knows he's not perfect either. And they're more willing to admit the mistake. And I think that helps our guys a lot. And I do a lot of praising again, like build building that self-confidence. Like I make sure just as much as I get on them when they mess up, I'm praising them whenever they do something right. Right. I, everybody loves, you know, when, when they're getting praised and, and, and everybody is appreciating them. So I do that as much as I can, um, as much as I'm paying attention to the details. I'm letting them know when they mess up. But again, I'm I'm going crazy and wild when they do things the right way. 
so so they know that I'm seeing everything. And then just constantly using my experiences, right? Like, right? Like I've done this for a long time. I've played. And so using my experiences when I had had some hard times with some of the coaches that I've dealt with, using those and, and, and letting them know other guys that I've coached or, or played with in their experiences and just trying to have those be relatable instances. But I never want our guys to leave a practice and guess how I'm feeling. Like I'll, if, if something is going on, they gonna know exactly how I'm feeling. If somebody got a bad practice, I'm, I'm holding them back and I'm talking to them about, Hey, okay. You know, it's a bad day, you know, bad, two, but not even a bad day. It was a bad two hours. All right. We got to move on from this and get ready. You got probably got homework that you got to go back and do. So go back, do that homework, put a smile on your face. And it's, it's going to be a totally new day tomorrow. Just constantly remind them, reminding my guys of all of those keys and those things. It allows me to coach them the way that I am and, and really getting to know the, the people on a part my guys on a personal level. You know, if they feel like that I said or did something to offend them in any type of way, they know they can come in here and talk to me about that and we'll hash it out. Like, you know, we had an instance this year during our season, it was a guy that was pouting on the bench in a, in a 20, 25 point win. And, you know, I put the guys that hadn't played as much late in late in the game. And so I, one of the assistants told me about his body language. We, we ended up blowing the lead. They cut it to like 12 and it was like two minutes to go. And uh, so I put my starters back in. And so, you know, his body language wasn't great. We got into the locker room and this is when we started playing pretty well. And I addressed it right in the locker room. So he texted me. He said, coach, can we meet? I said, absolutely. So we talked about it and I told him why I did what I did in front of the team and, you know, address that right away because I can't have that in the type of culture that I'm trying to build. Like another thing that coach Vanderwall taught me is you got to nip things in the butt right away. If you let them linger, it's just going to build up. Now it's more talking to dorms that's negative like you, you can't allow that and, and that's helped me as a coach a ton so coach now we'd like to transition to a segment that we call triple threat where we're going to give you three topics and let you share your thoughts ideas experiences and or suggestions with our listeners question one what are coach nick sales non-negotiables well the, the first one is i don't want if somebody messes up, I'm going to teach them. And I don't want somebody from the side to come in and make that same mistake because I only have two hours with you. That's five to seven minutes wasted if you come in and make the same mistake. That first mistake, I'm okay with. But if somebody comes in and makes the same mistake, then I, then I, I, I lose it because that means you're not paying attention. You're not locked in to the task at hand. Um, and our guys know that. The second one would be effort. I just need great effort all the time. Like diving for loose balls, being ready to, you can't say you're going to take a charge and move out the way in practice and me expect you to be able to do that in the game. Like I just need great effort and energy all the time. Uh, the last is is rebounding on a missed free throw. I just, I can't have that. That means you relaxing. And in this game of basketball, it's such a game of runs and a momentum game. You cannot allow an offensive rebound on a free throw. I've won some games um, because that's happened. Um, and, you know, some got teams have stayed in games because it's happened to me. But those three things I just I just can't allow happen. And that, those are things just on the basketball court. Right. Obviously, we all have our non basketball things that are non-negotiable but on the court. I just can't have those things. Okay, Coach, second topic, and this is probably very topical for 2023, where we are right now. Okay. I want to know your opinion on kind of the, the younger generation and how they're consuming basketball. 
you know, you ask a kid, hey, did you, did you catch the game last night? It's not so much they didn't really watch the game. They might have even seen ESPN, like sports in their highlights. It's TikTok highlights and it's it's the dunks. It's the flashy plays. What's your opinion of how we connect with the younger generation when that's how they're consuming the game now, it seems? I, I would say for me, I'm not a big fan of that, right? Like even as a coach, I don't always, I don't want the highlights. I want to be able to watch a full game so I can watch everything that a student athlete is doing, right? It'd be like, you know, you go to a school and they just show you the three sweet things about the school. You miss out on all the details besides the things that are really, really important, right? Then you get there and it's like, this is all you got? Well, those three highlights, they got you. They hooked you. So just, again, one thing that I try to do here is relate a lot of things to the real world. And so highlights aren't the real world. It's basically a sum up of all the great things that you go through, right? Not all what it takes to get you there. And so I, I, I just try to relate things like that to in terms of those highlights. But you're absolutely right. And, and for me, one of the things that I ask the guys that I'm recruiting is like, if you really love it, you're watching the NBA playoffs. You're watching college basketball, right? And, you, you know, you may put together some some TikTok highlights or all those things, but it's not going to get you to where you want to be. You can't do the things Steph Curry can do. You can't do the things LeBron James is doing in terms of athleticism and the shot selection and those types of things. So, you know, how are those things helping you become a better basketball player is the question that I would ask. So, Coach, the third question in our triple threat package, best basketball movie of all time and why? Oh, it's a great question. Um, and for me, I would have to say he got game with Ray Allen and Denzel Washington. Um, as a college coach, right, you see, you know, Ray Allen go through, you know, being a really good high school player. He goes on his recruiting visits, right? And then he got the pressure of his dad, Denzel, and making that decision. I mean, I, I thought that movie was unbelievable. It hit on so many different topics and it made me a, a Ray Allen fan growing up. And obviously I've always been a Denzel Washington fan as an actor, but it, it just takes account in all the things that people have to decide when they're making a decision. And that's at any level, right? You, you never know. You know, some people choose a college because of their girlfriend. Some people choose a college because it's close to home. Some people choose a college for, for all types of reasons. But that sort of gave you a totally different dynamic that, you know, some people would never think about. So, you know, at, at the end when they play, when Denzel and Ray Allen play one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. supposedly it wasn't scripted that Denzel was supposed to score a few. <laughs> he had to get a few in. And then Ray Allen's like, okay, that's enough of this. Right. That, that was supposed to be a little more of a blowout. Yeah. And, and Denzel, that's who Denzel is, right? That's what makes him great. He competitive. He wasn't just about to go out there and take it, you know? And so that's who he is. And that's what makes him great. Like, and I tell our guys this all the time, how you do one thing is how you do everything. If you thought Denzel was just going to show up and, and, you know, allow Ray Allen to just make him look really terrible, then you, you had another thing coming. We have one more question for you, but before we get to that, um, thank you again for your time, for coming on the show tonight. Spend some time with us here on the Holding Court Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's it's always nice when you're able to to come on great things like this and, and represent your program, but also, you know, the questions that you ask, it sort of helps remind me of how lucky I am with the great people that have had a huge impact on my life and, and how I've got to where I am and just the players that I've played with, right, and just the process of it. Right. And, and I've enjoyed that process and I appreciate that process. And so I really appreciate you guys for having me and allowing me to do that. So, Coach, I was recently reading an article. Uh, it talked about the lack of African-American coaches at the collegiate level. Um, in fact, at the Division One college level, African-American coaches make up just 24.3 percent of all head coaches. 
Uh, Craig Robinson, who's our current executive director of the NABC, recently stated that these numbers directly correlate to the lack of diversity amongst higher levels of leadership at universities. He stated that people tend to hire who they know, and when there are more presidents of color, more ADs of color, and more commissioners of color, there will be more coaches of color. Do you agree with this statement and what can be done to address this concern? I think it can go either way. You know, I've been offered opportunities with, you know, not minorities at in, in, in you know, the athletic director or certain positions. But I'm very fortunate that the athletic director here is, a, is an African-American woman. And she gave me my first opportunity to be, be a head coach and one that I accepted. I will say this. I think that us as African-Americans, we have to make sure we don't use anything as an excuse. Like I think even for, I was very lucky with this job that I knew the head baseball coach or I wouldn't probably have not even applied for it because I'm like, okay, it's, it's Rolls home and maybe they wouldn't give me a chance, but you gotta be willing to put yourself out there. You have no chance at all, you know, with certain jobs. So you can't do that or you can't think you don't have a shot to get it if you don't put yourself out there and have, have confidence doing it. And then I think things that helped me was me going to all these camps and not just meeting the coaches, but if I see anybody walking around, I'm saying hello, because you never know who, who knows who. You never know, you know, what position people are on, on certain campuses. But and then even as an assistant coach, when you go to certain places, saying hi to different places, obviously you're going in there for battle, right? You want to be focused and locked in. But that doesn't mean you can't see a person wearing the opposite color shirt, not say hi, how you doing, because you that, that may change your life. I think it definitely would help, obviously, if you had more minorities in certain positions. But I also think that us as minorities, you have to be willing to put yourself out there, not just when the games happen, but over the summers working camps and networking um, as much as you can. Never feel like you're too good for anything, right? Because everything is a big time learning experience. So don't feel like because it happened to somebody that it's the same thing will happen to you. I, again, I'm super lucky for my athletic director and she's been nothing but but amazing to me. But it's one of those that I'm glad that I knew somebody on staff here um, or else I, I wouldn't apply for this job. So I, those are the, the main key components that I would say is don't make it a reason not to apply for a job because, you know, maybe it don't work out for somebody else. But you just never really know until you get the interview and you go on campus and, and some things may shock you. I know when I got here, it shocked me, you know, because of what Rose Holman is. I was like, OK, can I really be myself? But I walked into the interview being myself and they appreciated it and liked it. And I was able to live with the results because I was myself. I didn't have to fake or pretend to be somebody else. Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at Ohio BK Coaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.